Welcome back, everybody. Episode 9 of the Vince August Podcast. As we plow through, um, big thanks again to everybody who's listening. Uh, I can't say it enough. This podcast doesn't really go on if I'm just sitting here talking to myself, so thank you for tuning in. Um, Listeners this week, Germany... Italy joined the board. Finally, Italy on board. You'd think my fellow Italians would, would back me up on this one. Um, but, you know, we're keeping steady in the top 20 in news and politics on Potomatic. We are top 500 on a regular basis on Potomatic, and there's thousands of podcasts. Don't forget you can listen in on iTunes. Just download and subscribe, and it'll pop up on your iTunes, and you can sync it into your um iPod and and take me with you everywhere. Uh, Doing two podcasts this week. This one is episode nine. I'm going to do a Thanksgiving Day podcast. So this way, if you're on a a long drive and you want to listen in, uh, you can have the news and politics all in this podcast. And I'll do a Thanksgiving and things to be thankful for podcast, which will be the next one. Okay, Um, jumping right in to the hot issue that I saw this week with President Obama and the reaction to this action he took on immigration. And I don't know, you know, if people are just so blinded by the anti-Obama Republican side of things that they don't bother to become familiar with the laws, become familiar with our history, or... They're just ignorant um, because this the, the action that President Obama took in the end was so necessary and makes so much sense and is actually one of the better things that he's done with or could have done with regards to immigration. And of course, I see the posts on social media and the first thing that people do whenever the president, or someone does something for immigration or to help others, and this makes me nuts, they immediately compare it to the troops. Everything becomes about the troops. The the troops are so misused as the poster child for abuse in this country, and in this situation, it's the Republicans that do this, and it drives me insane because it's, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give rights to immigrants, But meanwhile, our troops are still suffering. Our troops don't have rights. That is not what happened in what the president did. First of all, President Obama has absolute legal authority to act on this matter. And that right comes from his prosecutorial discretion, especially in areas for humanitarian benefits and or foreign policy reasons. Plain and simple, that's a fact. Look it up. That's a presidential power. He has absolute authority to act when it comes to foreign policy and humanitarian decisions. And that's exactly what he did. With regards to what President Obama did for immigration, let's make something clear. President Reagan did something similar when he extended legalization to children. And the first President Bush 
did the same thing when he extended legalization to spouses. So Republicans, get your facts straight. Because for everyone who bashed Obama for what he did this week, it's not so far out of line with what Reagan and Bush did. So if you have issues and you think I'm wrong, please show me. Maybe I'm missing this. But I don't think Obama did anything different than what Bush or Reagan did. Now, what did exactly Obama do? Obama gave a temporary reprieve from deportation and gave a temporary permission to work to people that right now are considered illegal aliens. I'm going to repeat that. So anyone out there that's trying to figure this out, that maybe they don't understand what the news is saying because the right wing is trying to nail Obama on this as giving this, you know, carte blanche to illegal aliens. And maybe the left is making it seem like he did this benevolent great thing. And the average person watching the news is just like, what the hell did this guy do? It's very simple. Here it is. Layman's terms. President Obama gave a temporary reprieve from deportation and gave a temporary permission to work for illegal aliens that have not registered, have not, that's why they're illegal. This is not an amnesty for illegal aliens. I repeat again, this is not an amnesty for illegal aliens. That's not what he did. Let me tell you why this act by Obama was such an unbelievable, smart decision. First of all, the House is not passing any immigration reform anytime soon. Let's be honest about it. This immigration reform has been kicked around in the House now for the better part of, I'm going to say, got to be going on two years. Got to be going on two years of this immigration reform. With the recent election and the shift, you're definitely not going to get any action by the House. Now, here's the great thing about this. If, in fact, what President Obama did was so bad, was so horrendous, with the Republicans now having slight majorities, if they were really, really ticked off by his action, if they were really, really put off by what he did, found it illegal, found it to contradict his constitutionary powers, if they found it to be such an impeachable offense, if all of that was true, all they need to do is get themselves into Congress and pass a bill. If what President Obama did was so outrageous and Congress was really outraged, not fake nonsense political posturing partisanship crap if they were really outraged by what he did then they would get their butts back into the house back into congress and they would pass a bill but you're not seeing that and the reason you're not seeing it is because all of the outrage you're seeing is fake outrage this is not outrage okay 
the most important thing to remember here is this is not a path to permanent residency for these illegal aliens. That Obama cannot do. He absolutely, positively cannot do that. In fact, the only body that can do that in the United States is Congress. So Obama did not do that. This is all temporary. It's not permanent. Only Congress can make it permanent. So that's the first thing. And if Congress wanted to do something to block Obama, they certainly could do it. They can certainly run into work and get it done. You see our Congress, when they want to move on something, they move. Okay, when it came time to do the bailout and they had to move, they can move. Okay, when it comes to enact the war power, they can move and they move. If this really upset the Republicans so much, they would be at work right now undoing it. But they're not upset because he didn't do anything wrong. In fact, what he did was right. And here's why it's right. This deferred action, this this temporary reprieve, okay, in essence, is smoking the immigrants out into the open. Okay, this is a launch of tear gas to all the illegals that are here to bring them out in the open because now what Obama did is he's given you a temporary reprieve and he's giving you permission to work legally, legally. Illegal aliens that now have permission to work legally they don't have to work off the books anymore and by working legally guess what they're doing they're identifying themselves people do you understand this they now do the job for ins they identify themselves what obama basically did was save hundreds if not thousands of man hours by having immigrants go to the government identify themselves and say, here I am. You're giving me a temporary reprieve from deportation and a temporary permission to work. I want to take advantage of it. Here I am. They will now come forward because if they don't, they're absolutely sure to get deported in the future. So now they're going to come forward identify themselves, and report themselves. What better way to identify illegal immigrants than to have them step forward and do it themselves? Because if they want to become legalized at any point in time, the best way to do it, register yourself, work, get a job, start paying taxes, and you're showing the government we want to be part of the American system, the American society. We want to pay our share. We want to take advantage of what you offer and give what we have to give. I I think it's brilliant. Brilliant. The second thing, they will now have to work legally. And this eliminates that whole argument of Americans yelling how immigrants are taking their jobs. Because now, if you are hiring an illegal immigrant, you, the employer, are the one creating the problem. Now it's the American citizen. Now it is the American corporation. And I don't care if you're a sole proprietorship. I don't care if you're an LLC, if you're an Inc., whatever you have, a partnership, whatever it is. If now 
with this new legal action that the president took, if you were hiring illegal immigrants to help them out, you are the problem with our society, not the illegal immigrants. You now become the lawbreaker because they can work legally for you. And this protects you as well as identifies them, protects them, and gives them a path potentially to becoming legal. What this also does is it takes the marketplace for employment and it opens it up for all of the Americans that are saying we're not getting jobs because the immigrants are taking our jobs. Well, guess what? With this new action that the president took, that argument is gone. It's off the table. You can't make that argument anymore because now everybody is legal. We're all on the same playing field. And everybody has the same opportunities. And if immigrants are not taking advantage of those opportunities, there's two reasons why. They have no intention of ever becoming legalized or someone else is creating the scenario that allows them to exist. That someone else is, again, an American citizen, American corporation, or something along those lines. So now, once again, if you're a Republican and if you're looking at this and you're trying to find the fault in what he did, and after hearing what I've said, you honestly believe, not because you're just to one side and you're partisan, you honestly believe what he did was wrong. What he did was illegal and should somehow subject him to impeachment. I would love to hear from you. Message me through Potomatic. Message me on Twitter. Find me on Facebook, Vince August. I'm real easy to find. Vince August Twitter, Vince August Facebook, Vince August on Potomatic, Vince August on iTunes. I would love to hear how I'm wrong about this. I'm sorry, I'm not. And you guys know by now, if you've listened to all my podcasts, I am not. I am not biased to either side. I'm not a registered Republican or Democrat. I call it the way I see it. And I'm sorry, Republicans, you're wrong. Obama, well done. Well done. Kudos. I think your foreign policy has been a disaster to date. But with regards to immigration, perfectly played. Well done. Next issue, I'm going to jump right in. You know, this thing in Ferguson, Missouri, is becoming more and more disturbing. And here's the thing, and and I'm recording this podcast before the grand jury decision has been released. I haven't seen it. It is yet to be released. Here's what we have right now. We have people in Ferguson, Missouri, are congregating and becoming more and more edgy and they are assembling waiting to riot they're not waiting for a decision they're waiting to riot they're waiting to show outrage okay and in fact i would love to get a lie detector test 
on all of those people that are assembling and waiting for this decision and ask them deep down inside what decision they want. And I'm telling you, I I would be shocked if at least more than half of the people assembling and chomping at the bit for this decision wouldn't love to see this grand jury not come back with an indictment just so they can riot and go crazy in the streets. Because here's the, the ultimate question I have for those people. Let's assume this cop gets indicted and you've assembled. Now what? Now what? Now do we do we do what we see it happen in San Francisco this year when the Giants won the World Series? You start flipping over cars and lighting fires anyway out of what? Sheer celebration? What? Do you all disperse and go home and say justice has been done? What is the purpose at that point for you assembling and you congregating en masse to march? Justice in your eyes has been served. So what's the point of all of it? You should just disperse and go home. Let's see if that happens. Or let's see if this is just mob mentality looking for a reason to just go crazy burn things down, riot, trash, loot, and everything else. God, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I really, really hope I'm wrong for humanity's sake on this one. First of all, the rioting. It doesn't help the family. In fact, it hurts the family. Because the more you riot, the more damage you do to that community. When push comes to shove, and this case is litigated in civil court, What the jurors are going to remember isn't going to be the fact that Michael Brown was killed in cold blood. What they're going to remember is the way everyone reacted afterward, the civil unrest. And they're probably going to be less likely to hand these people the money that they may deserve. That's the first thing. The second thing, this is not helping race relations. It's not. It doesn't do anything to help race relations. Because, first of all, this is not about black and white. And if you're making it about black and white, you are a racist. You are the problem with racism in this country. This is about cops. And this is about the authority they're given, their training, their hiring, how they're put into situations they cannot handle. And oftentimes those situations are in urban areas dealing with young African-American men. That is not the definition of racism. That's not what racism is about. So by rioting and by doing all of this, all you're creating is a hatred, an animosity, a racism, among white people that are looking at this and saying, listen, if this cop is wrong, take his badge, throw him in jail, give these people whatever monetary relief will be the maximum that you could give them, knowing and understanding it's not going to bring back their lost loved one. Now, even if... This guy is indicted and he goes to jail and the family comes up with an award. This does not fix the police issue in this country. 
It does not fix the training issue in this country, which I've already addressed in previous podcasts. Okay, the bottom line is this. We are giving authority to young men, young women. We are giving weapons to young men and young women. We are giving giving police cars, badges, all kinds of power to young men and young women for the most part in these situations people that were not qualified to handle it let me make something perfectly clear there is bad in every profession i am an attorney i was a judge and i can tell you many of the problems we have in this country exist because of lawyers lawyers have created an unbelievable litigious environment which causes most of the problems we have in this country, without a doubt. Everything from free speech all the way on down, created by lawyers, and laws and governance and just lawsuits and litigation and the frivolity that comes with it, without a doubt. So I will bash my own. But I'm telling you right now, there's screw-ups in every profession. And unfortunately, when police screw up, it involves a weapon. It involves this type of scenario. With regards to Ferguson, with regards to the outrage, you know, the, the people in Ferguson, you have an opportunity to make change. You are governed by James Noel III who was elected in 2011 with 49% of the vote. You put in a 31-year-old mayor, very educated, highly educated, maybe the perfect person for the job, also a Republican. How a town that I understand is 70% African-American, 70, 70, how... James Noel III came to get 49% of the vote to win the election. Again, and I did this in a, in a prior podcast, at least, at least a large percentage of the 70% that makes up the African-American community had to vote for James Knowles. Had to. Absolutely, positively, unequivocally, without doubt. So, You voted for this mayor. You voted for a Republican. You also voted for Mark Byrne, Tim Larson, David Conway, Kim Tian, and Keith Kallstrom. All white. The question I have for you, Ferguson, is it that there is no black candidate running that can represent you? That the Democrat running against the Republican was so hideous that you didn't have a choice? Or did you actually vote for people that you like, that run the community well? And this is a situation where a cop who was improperly trained took improper action. Or a situation you don't really know that much about that resulted in a shooting occurred. Stop trying to bully the system after the fact. 
because to me, what is going on in Ferguson right now, that assembly, that gathering waiting to erupt is nothing more than a threat, a bully of the grand jury system because those grand jurors are deliberating and I'm sure they know damn well there's a riot waiting outside if they come back with a no bill. If they don't indict and no bill this case, there's a riot waiting outside. Is that the way we want our justice system to work? Is this what we want our justice system to become? That the second people start saying, you know what? You don't rule on this case the way we the masses want you to root, vote, rule, determine. We're going to burn this city down. Because that's what we've become now in this country. Whenever somebody loses an election, the losing side just immediately takes to the forefront and say, there was a mistake, there was a problem, we're going to riot, we're going we're gonna to do damage, we don't like the way this came out. That's basically like at the end of a game, when the game is over and the scoreboard reads that you lost, you know what? We're going to rip the stands apart. We're going we're gonna to attack the other team. We're going to attack the fans. We don't like this outcome. You know what? We should have won. And we don't care what happened on the field. Now we want you to change it. This is not what this country is about. And the fact that these people are gathering outside, waiting to riot, is nothing more than bullying the system. That's all this is. I'm telling you, people, I agree. There is a police problem in this country. However, be honest. Someone breaks into your house tonight. Who are you going to call? You're calling 911. If you're in a dark alley, you're running and there's no one there to help you, who are you going to call? You're going to call 911. The police are a necessary entity in this country. In any civilized country, you have a police element. The question is not whether or not we need police. The question, again, goes to hiring, training, and putting people in this position that are truly capable of handling the circumstance. Now, let's talk about that for a minute. Used to be a cop salary was such that the person who became a police officer was not someone who was going to go to college, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to become a police officer. That wasn't the way it was for many, many years. However, I could speak for Bergen County, New Jersey. Several towns in Bergen County, New Jersey, small departments to large departments, police officers are now making six figures, more than a lot of college graduates are making. So now there's no reason why police officers shouldn't have to complete a college education or beyond. I have to take continuing legal education credits to stay as a lawyer in the state of New Jersey and New York. There's no reason why police officers shouldn't have to go back to the academy and train one month, two weeks, I don't care how much a year, physically have to pass the test, physical fitness and endurance tests, stress tests, training with their weapon. Maybe it, that is the problem that they're not being trained enough. Maybe that once they get out, they're given their authority and the, the training concept has somehow then, it doesn't become 
the, the most important part of their job. It becomes about writing tickets. Listen, I'll be the first one to say when I see a cop sitting on a highway, more oftentimes it's doing more harm than good because you know what? It slows traffic down to a crawl, creates rubbernecking, and all the guy's doing is sitting there with his radar gun looking to write tickets. To me, that's not protect and serve. You're not protecting and serving by sitting on the side of a road with you know, your, your, your speedometer, your speed gun, radar gun. That, that, to me, is not necessarily protecting and serving. Driving up and down the streets in my community, keeping an eye on things, that's protecting and serving. The speeder goes by, yes, you know what? We do have to stop that on the roads. If people are texting and driving, yes, we have to stop that on the road. Again, it's the, the issue is not black and white. It's not race. It's the way our police are trained. The other thing I want to go and, and touch on here is, you know, there's credibility issues in arguments. And if you're going to argue how police are constantly shooting young black men and police are constantly doing damage by, you know, their race relations. Okay, that's fine. I will support you in those arguments so long as when a cop gets shot, you show the same outrage towards the defendant in that case as you show towards the cop in the cop shooting. If you show me the same outrage in both circumstances, I will support and back your cause every time. But when it's just anti-cop, you're going to lose me every time. And again, this is partisanship. This goes back to partisanship. Even on, listen, on Facebook, I have certain friends that post all Democratic propaganda. I have certain friends that post all Republican propaganda. I give neither of them credibility when it comes to their posts neither one because i know you're so slanted in your argument you're so biased in your argument that if you ever showed me once you know what our side was wrong on this one then at that point i can say this person is trying to give intelligent information instead of just again taking that I'm on this side, I'm on the left, I'm on the right, and I will forever hold my ground and fight for the left or the right. Same thing in these situations. The rioters in Ferguson, as long as, God forbid, when a cop gets shot or an innocent person is shot in the street by a gang member, you show the same outrage, then I'm with you. Until then, you lose all credibility in your argument. And you know what? There's an interesting story coming out of Bergen County, New Jersey. Uh, A defendant who sent a death threat to two Bergen County Superior Court judges had his case in the Bergen County Superior Court. The district court or the, the appellate division, the next highest court, determined that the case should be transferred out of Bergen County Because they felt that no judge in Bergen County would be able to put aside their bias against this individual for the death threats made against their fellow members on the bench. Now, a couple things with that. One, there's a reason why I do like the decision. The reason I like the decision is, yes, 
you, you, you have to get it out of Bergen County where a person made death threats against judges in Bergen County. There's certainly going to be that feeling amongst jurors and people. You know what? We don't want this person in our society. You make death threats in my backyard. You need to get out. That's the one side of it. Here's the side of it I don't like. As a judge, whether someone makes death threats towards you or not, if you are truly impartial, if you truly represent the thing that that robe and gavel, the authority it gives you, it doesn't matter if this person made death threats or not. You should be able to weigh in on that thing based on law, based on facts. Period. End of story. It should be law, facts. And in certain situations, what's equitable and just. Sometimes you got to deviate from the law. I know a lot of judges don't want to deviate from the law and don't want to take the courage to do that. But you know what? It takes a really intelligent, a really progressive judge to make a decision and say, I'm going to deviate from the law on this one because this is what's right and we need a change in law. We're seeing it a lot of times in courts that judges are making these types of decisions and then, you know what, send it up to the appellate division if you want to overrule me, and then we wind up in the Supreme Court. That's what law is about, making good new law. Most judges won't do that. Most judges won't do that. So on the one hand, good decision to move it out. There's too much animosity. It's too hot in that area. On the other hand, it disturbs me because any judge should be able to remove themselves from a situation like a juror, and make the right decision. Based on that decision, and here's my tie back, and I love to tie back, based on the decision to move that case out of Bergen County, now I ask you the question, should the grand jury decision be taken out of Ferguson because those people live in that community and they're afraid to see the rioting and the destruction in their community? Should we remove it to another jurisdiction, let that decision be made somewhere else where the, it's not, the climate is not as hot, and let another community make the call? I don't know. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. But this is where we can't bully the system. This is where we have to be careful about bullying the system. This is where we have to be careful about the system bullying back in the case of judges bullying back a defendant. Again, it becomes a matter of partisanship. It becomes a matter of making decisions that are intelligent with clarity and not with emotion. And we are a very emotionally charged country right now. I think a lot of our judgment, a lot of the decisions are being clouded by pure emotion. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. I'm black. I'm white. I'm pro-cop. I'm anti-cop. Stop taking sides. Stop taking sides, listen to facts, make a decision based on what's equitable, what's just, and what's right. Stop coming in with a preconceived notion because you already belong to a side. It's very dangerous, extremely dangerous. And this is what's really causing our system to fall apart in this country. Politics, law, and everything else. Uh, Next thing I want to jump into. The death with dignity issue has now become uh, an issue in New Jersey. Obviously, we know what happened with Brittany Maynard, uh, the 29-year-old from Oregon, 
um, who decided on taking her life to avoid dealing with suffering and pain. And she wanted to end her life her way as opposed to having to endure all kinds of disability deterioration from her cancer. Now, the New Jersey Assembly passed the Death with Dignity um, Act, so it now moves on to the Senate. So this bill has now been passed. It's in the Senate. It passed 41 to 39. The, The whole idea here of Death with Dignity is allow a person the opportunity when they're diagnosed with a terminal condition to make a decision with regards to their well-being, with regards to how they are to handle their treatment and health moving forward. Um, One of the celebrities that this happened to that kind of, I guess, brought this to the forefront in a lot of people's homes was Valerie Harper. Uh, She was diagnosed and given three months to live with her illness. And I understand that that was two years ago. So two years ago, she was given three months to live. This is a topic that also comes into my home. My father received a liver transplant back in 97. Um, We were told the liver would last him roughly seven or eight years. The liver wound up lasting him much longer than that. My father, a couple years ago, was told his kidneys started failing and... You know, it became an issue of giving him a kidney transplant and having him die on the table or giving him dialysis, which would certainly prolong his life and there would be less risk. The point is this. Terminally ill people are facing these decisions daily. We knew my dad was terminal, you know, a a while back. We knew his situation was deteriorating. He got the liver transplant did not get the kidney transplant, wound up going on dialysis. Last year, December into January, we knew my father was going to pass away. We were told in no uncertain terms, he's going to go. My father, being the stubborn Sicilian that he is, determined he wanted to fight this thing. He wanted to live, and he wanted to do it for my mom. And he fought. And he fought long and hard. And then about a week before he passed away, he said, I don't want to do dialysis anymore. I'm, I'm done with dialysis. Eventually, his body took enough of a beating and he was just mentally and physically tired enough that he wanted to go. Um, I saw a friend of mine, someone who I was close to at the time, his mom was battling cancer and... One day she woke up and actually had the conversation with me. Um, I, was, I was very close to this, this friend of mine, and his mom wanted to talk to me because she knew I was very spiritual. And she said, you know what? I don't want to fight anymore. I don't want any more chemo. I want to give up. And I, we had this conversation, and I understood why. She was ready to move on to the next life. My dad had had enough. He was ready to move on. And he constantly assured my mother, don't worry about it. I'm going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. There comes a point in time in anyone's life where you realize 
you're ready to move on. I've seen it in these circumstances. Do I want to give that authority and that decision-making power to our government? Here is the con with giving it and putting it in the hands of our government. As in the case with Valerie Harper, as in the case with my dad, when he originally got his liver transplanted, that liver was only supposed to last him seven, eight years. Doctors are often wrong. Plain and simple. Doctors are often wrong. And by giving doctors this power, by putting uh, an expiration date on a human being, you don't want to give that kind of power to a doctor. You don't want the government to empower doctors to that point. Now, here is the other side of that argument. We have to stop the health industry from treating people like lab rats. Okay, we have to stop this thing where, like with my dad, we can give you a kidney transplant. Well, what are the odds he's going to survive the kidney transplant? Well, 50-50, 30 we don't know. But you know what? If we do the kidney transplant, he'll have a new kidney. Then at that point after that, we could worry about the liver. And then potentially we could you know, consider doing you know, interferon for the liver. But we can't do this without that. Listen. The health industry wants to make money, and the way they want to make money is by treating, by giving medication and doing all kinds of things like that. This will stop the health industry from doing that by putting it into the actual person's hands and giving them the decision. But my problem with this whole issue is I don't want the government getting involved. I really don't. I don't want the government getting involved in abortion to the point that they did, And I don't want the government getting involved now in making a decision in whether or not I can decide to end my life. Because ultimately, when you think about it, everybody, there's nothing the government can do to stop that. In the end, anybody who wants to can commit suicide. This is basically a suicide law. But you can't really make that a law that you can enforce. Somebody can take a gun and blow out their brains at any point in time. Someone can take an overdose of drugs. Someone like my father can say, I don't want dialysis anymore. Someone like my friend's mom, I don't want chemotherapy anymore. People can make those decisions. The question here is making the person comfortable enough to pass on. Now, with my father, he wanted to die at home. And a week before he came home, he said to us, I want to go home. And the hospital was trying to push hospice on us. And hospice does unbelievable work. If you've ever had the unfortunate process to go through and have someone placed that you love in hospice, it's, it's an unbelievable thing because on the one thing you know, on the one hand, you know the person you love is going to pass. On the other hand, you see these people, the way they care for your loved ones in their waning moments is absolutely unbelievable. These people, if there's anybody that should be ready for sainthood, it's these people. My father did not want to go to hospice. He wanted to die at home. He hadn't been home but sporadically for a couple weeks from you know, late October all the way to January. He wanted to be at home. We spent Christmas Day in the hospital. We spent New Year's Eve and New Year's Day in the hospital. We spent my mother's birthday in the hospital. He wanted to be home. He came home. Me and my brother were the ones administering the morphine at that point. He wanted to die at home. And for my dad, that was death with dignity. I don't want this legislated by our government. 
Our government screws up enough. Okay? I don't want them to screw this one up. I want this left into the hands of the people and let them just make... Stop making laws. Stop with the laws. Because you know what's going to happen with this thing? You're going to get lawsuits. A lawyer's going to get a hand on this. A lawyer's going to screw this thing up. This is just going to become more complicated than what it is. Stop passing so many damn laws when we don't need them. Plain and simple. A person is in pain. They don't want to endure anymore. They're suffering. They're ready to move on to the next life. Oh, my God, let them. Let them. We shouldn't have to make a law about this. We shouldn't have to legislate every damn thing in this country. My God, enough is enough with that. So, listen, you know, basically this podcast was a a complete shift from the last one where I was a lot more humorous. I was, you know, just going over all kinds of stuff with Cosby and, and Sons of Anarchy and ripping people and everything else and, you know, with with the television and you know, the sex thing. And, and it was funny. Someone actually sent me um, a, a message about what I had said about the guy who had a problem with Sons of Anarchy in the two and a half minutes of sex that he saw. Um, maybe he was jealous that it lasted two and a half minutes. And I thought that was unbelievable. Joanna Raposa sent me that comment as I'm looking at some of the comments. Um, I, I, I love the feedback. Some people, you know, with, with the take a knee at midfield and, you know, when kids are down or players are down, you know, a lot of people didn't realize, you know, that was necessarily a religious implication. Some people say, you know what, that's not so much about praying as it is respect on the field. Vince, you know, you immediately made it about prayer. And I said, well, if the person is taking a knee and they're saying, I hope they're better. I hope they're better. I hope they're better. Just because you don't say God in that, I don't know. I, I still think that that's a form of prayer. Um, again, there's a lot of different ways to look at that. Um, and then the whole thing, I got another amazing message with regards to the objectification of women as opposed to men. And uh, this woman sent me a comment saying, you know what, Vin? Thank you for pointing that out to me because you're right. You know what? Whenever we see the sexiest man alive, whenever we see the sexiest men episode in people, whenever we see the image of what is a hot beefcake on television, in social media, just pictures in general. You know what? It never depicts a guy holding his baby. It never depicts a guy holding a puppy. It never depicts a guy hugging his wife who maybe he's out of shape. It doesn't show a guy working two jobs with the mortgage check being written. It always shows a guy shirtless with six-pack abs and, and huge pecs and perfect hair. So you know what? Thank you for pointing out to me. Yeah, you know what? Both sides are guilty of doing that objectification thing. You know, maybe we both need to take a lesson from that. And yes, we do. And that was exactly my point. So thank you for understanding my point with regards to that. Um, guys, thank you for listening to the podcast. This is um, episode nine. And again, it was a little bit more serious in tone. Uh, we hit some issues that I felt needed to be addressed. I felt that the Obama situation needed to be addressed. The Ferguson issue, I, I think I hit on it before, but again, the bullying on our judicial process and you know listen we need to stop the partisanship we need to stop taking sides and arguing sides for the sake of being on a side and then finally death with dignity three very serious topics again i'm trying to educate i'm trying to give information and maybe i'm presenting it in a way our media doesn't and you're taking something away from this if you are 
Spread the word. Please tell them the Vince August podcast available on Podomatic, iTunes. Let's leave with some Deck 3. I'm going to have another podcast out with a special Thanksgiving and sending a message of thanks and how you can find the silver lining in everything. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a happy Thanksgiving in case you don't catch the Thanksgiving podcast.